You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giant Splash Podcast. I'm Henry Schulman, Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. My guest today is Michael Holmes, the team's amateur scouting director. Michael was hired in December under Farhan Zaidi and ran his first Giants draft in June. He made his first international signings as well. I'll talk to Michael about his first round pick, Hunter Bishop, the outfielder from Arizona State other top draft picks this year and how they did in their first professional summers. We'll also talk about the amateur scouting process, which is year-round and continues even now. Here is my conversation with Giants amateur scouting director, Michael Holmes. I want to talk about some of the guys that, uh, that you drafted in, the first, uh, in your first draft with the Giants this year uh, under Farhan Zaidi. Uh, that was back in June, and also you had your first international signing period that started in uh, July, but I wanted to talk a little bit about process first, and and just going back to the beginning, you you have not even been with the Giants uh, for a year yet. Uh, you're already on your second uh, draft uh, and second, uh, well, still still your first international signing period. But I, w- I wanted to go back to when you were hired. I mean, you uh, Farhan was hired rather late. Uh, he put his staff in place rather late. I believe it was around the winter meetings when you were formally introduced. You had a, an entire scouting apparatus with with people, scouts, analytics in place uh, without really time to kind of review everybody there all and everything that was going on before you had to get really into the scouting. Uh, was that was that difficult at all? And how did you kind of uh, process that when you first arrived? Yeah, you know, we came on board right around the winter meetings um, uh, to jump on board with Farhan. And, and you know, it is a little bit late as far as the process uh, regarding the amateur draft because, uh, you know, usually as soon as the draft's over in June, you're starting on the following year, literally that week. So uh, fortunately for, m- for me and uh, our staff, I inherited a tremendous group of guys uh, who, was, uh, who were prepared and who really hit the ground running with me and they were open. Uh, to the things that I was wanting to implement and the things that I was wanting to do. So I owe those guys a lot of credit for their willingness um, to make some changes, but also to kind of keep going what they had done because there had been a lot of success in the past led by the efforts of John Barr. But um, it was a quick turnaround coming over in December. uh, And then stuff for the June draft really cranks up starting in January. So uh, we hit the ground running. Thanks to our guys, they were very open, and I thought we adapted quickly. I thought that our process really started early as far as uh, our organization of how we were going to get looks, our priorities of guys that we wanted to get out and see, and uh, I thought the transition actually went really well. Um, You know, something that you said uh, when you drafted uh, Hunter Bishop uh, with the first pick uh, of the draft, uh, number 10 overall, I believe it was. Uh, you said that when you were in Oakland working for the A's, I mean, you you had been lo- watching him for a long time, and it brought to mind a question to me. Does it make it easier since pretty much everybody knows who the top amateur prospects are, uh, and there's so much information about 
them that's out there, both from an analytic standpoint and from a scouting standpoint. Does, does that help? Uh, I mean, since you're not, I mean, since you're all looking at the same uh, players. Uh, you know, familiarity definitely helps. I mean, listen, with the amount of exposure that the players get in today's amateur game, um, you know, there's no secret of who the players are. Um, all 30 clubs are, are working under the same umbrella. They're working under the same rules and guidelines. And quite honestly, a lot of them are, have the similar information. So uh, when you start looking about ways to create a little competitive edge, you start trying to dive into some of these players, uh, get to know them a little bit better. Obviously, there's got to be a comfort, not only what they can do on the field, with what the type of uh, uh, person, character, and makeup they have. Uh, Hunter is a guy that uh, not only myself, but even some guys in our room in San Francisco who were there back when he was in high school. Uh, we had built a lot of history with him and his family, uh, even with his older brother, Braden. Uh, and Hunter's a guy that in my years in Oakland, um, we got to know the family well. We obviously scouted him very heavily at Sarah High School, coming out of high school. And, and honestly, he was a two-sport guy who was a football guy who had a tremendous amount of baseball ability. And he probably needed to go to college to kind of hone in that ability and kind of grow on the diamond um, and translate that athletic ability into some baseball skill. And uh, to, to get him at pick 10 this year, we were extremely excited. Someone that we had put done a lot of work on, someone that we had scouted very thoroughly, someone we had got to know very well. And uh, we were extremely happy and comfortable with selecting now, I, uh, I, I know some of this is complicated and some of it is proprietary, I'm sure. But is there a way that you could maybe generalize some of the changes that you did put into effect, uh, you know, based on the system you wanted to put in place uh, that, that might not have been as prevalent with the system that John Barr had had in place? You know, it, I wouldn't say they were drastic changes. They were probably more more of like stylistic type things, uh, ways that I like to go about doing, whether it be through communication. Or, or just simple report writing, certain aspects of reports that uh, that was something that I was comfortable working with, things that I was interested in knowing. Obviously, uh, Farhan wanting to know certain things um, when he goes to read reports. So we tried to implement just some things on that side. We also changed up our coverage a little bit as far as uh, uh, who we would have seen in certain players and kind of the way we would attack the spring. So. I think from a larger scheme of things, it probably wasn't a whole lot different, but it was probably just a few more de detailed type things of a way of going about our process and the way we kind of attacked the spring is more kind of the way I made some changes uh, uh, in January when I first met with our staff. Yeah, now, uh, you know, Giants fans kind of uh, forgot all about the international signing uh, when the Giants were in the penalty box there for two years. And then, of course, once they got out of the penalty box and uh, Marco Luciano was signed, uh, they got more more into it, more interested in it. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things I've, I'm always curious about in the international signings, there's so there's so many uh, analytics available, even with amateurs nowadays, uh, probably college more than high school, I would imagine. Um, but here in the amateur side, you're dealing with uh, kids who are 16 and, and 17 years old that you've been watching, I, I presume, since they were even younger than that, uh, you know, at, as they work out at the academies, um, it, it does is international scouting? Um, does it involve more of eye test, personality test, and anything like that? Um, just seeing what you see with the swings and with the, with the arms. 
than say the uh, amateur scouting on the American side? Yeah, I would say it's still probably the one area in scouting where you probably have the least amount of history with the players. Um, and that certainly goes into the fact of the age at which you begin seeing them and when you can sign them. It's certainly a different playing field than say the amateur level uh, regarding the draft or even obviously in pro scouting. But, you know, Joe Salermo, um, who leads the charge in our international department, does an unbelievable job down there as far as organizing um, and getting to know the players. Um, for the for the Giants fans out there that aren't familiar, I would say that our complex in the, the Dominican Republic is definitely uh, one of the best down there as far as facilities. So getting those players in there to spend some time at the academy, um, our guys get, gaining that kind of track record with some of these guys uh, is obviously important. And uh, Joe's guys down in the Dominican and all, and all through the international area, especially in Latin America and his cross checkered, um, these guys do an outstanding job, and I think I think people are starting to see the fruits of uh, the entire department's labor uh, this year when they fired uh, Martin Luciano's kind of uh, uh, performance this summer, and it's really exciting, and we're we're really excited about where he's come from and where where he still has to go. Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, talk, ask you about some of these players. There is one thing I, I did want to ask about the uh, the draft this year. Um, we were all saddened, I believe, about five days before the first night of the draft to hear that your wife, Heather, um, who was the former uh, volleyball coach at Wake Forest, uh, had passed away from cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a difficult time. And I remember that the Giants told us that uh, they were all prepared to uh, kind of cover for you uh, in the draft room, uh, if need be, uh, on that Monday, that first Monday in June. Uh, but then we learned you were in the draft room and that you wanted to be a, a full part of that. First of all, again, let me offer my condolences uh, to the passing. I, I hope you and your uh, son, who I believe is seven or eight years old, I hope I hope you're all well. Um, I'm just wondering if you could, you know, if you go back to that, having looked looked back at that now, how difficult was it for you to actually run that draft um, w- when that happened? And, and maybe if you could explain your decision to, you know, to go ahead and roll up your sleeves at, at a time when some people might not have. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate your sentiment. Uh, yeah, my son, he just turned eight on October 16th. So uh, he's going on 18, but he just turned eight. And he's excited about that. But uh, he, uh, yeah, you know, listen, it was a difficult time, not only in my life, but but uh, our entire family's life. And um, my wife battled the disease for seven years. And um, she was um, maybe as tough a person as I've ever been around. So um, anytime you have that type of um, that type of event take place in your life, it's definitely not easy. Um, the support of, of Farhan and Rob Dean and Larry and, and all of ownership was uh, just tremendous. And um, you know they kind of they kind of let me make the decision of kind of what I wanted to do. And to be completely honest with you, I kind of I've kind of honored the wishes of my wife Heather, who um, in her hospital room actually basically made me promise her no matter how this turned out, she did not want me to miss, uh, miss the draft. So, um, you know, I thought about it. I spent a lot of time in reflection over it and, uh, I have to give, um, I have to give the rest of our staff, the guys that were in the draft room, um, for a few days before I got there, I have to give them a tremendous amount of, uh, praise and thanks because, uh, the way they started the meetings and the conversations um, and the way they carried through when I wasn't there uh, was outstanding. We would not have been able to do what we did uh, without them. 
And then uh, when I got when I arrived there, we just basically to take your term, we basically rolled our sleeves up and went to work. And um, it uh, it created somewhat of a distraction for me. Um, and while I was in that room, my focus was uh, surely on that year on the draft and trying to uh, select players for the organization that were going to make us better. And uh, it. Uh, it was not an easy thing, but it was the right thing, and it was the thing that she wanted me to do. So uh, I was really proud of our guys, the way that they handled things, and I was uh, super appreciative of, uh, like I said, Farhan and ownership, the support that they gave me through everything. And, and we were very much in the media appreciative of the fact that you even took the time to speak with us after uh, the first night of the draft. And uh, the first night of the draft yielded uh, Hunter Bishop with the number 10 overall pick, center fielder from Arizona State. Um, local kid who unfortunately uh, had his own tragedy to deal with. His mom just passed after uh, you know a long uh, a long battle with her own uh, disease, uh, Alzheimer's. Um, and and then in the second with the second pick in, in the number fifty one overall, you took Logan Wyatt, first baseman uh, from the University of Louisville. Actually, one of two picks you took in the top four from Louisville. And uh, Hunter Bishop uh, went to uh, the Arizona League was there for a while, put up uh, some really, really good numbers, uh, went to Salem-Kaiser, did hit four home runs there. Uh, that's in the north, the rookie-level Northwest League. Uh, maybe didn't have the same uh, numbers. Numbers decline a little bit. Um, I think I think his batting average, if I'm looking right, was about 224 and 105 at-bats, uh, 29 strikeouts. Then Logan Wyatt, um, he was at uh, three different levels, and um, – didn't quite show the power in his first summer of pro ball that he did uh, when he was at Louisville. So both of those kind of lead to a question. When you draft these guys, especially high up, and, and you're watching them in their first summer, um, what is it that you're really looking for? I presume you're not looking for numbers uh, specifically. These are guys who have already played a whole season. Uh, and, and I'm just wondering what it is you're trying to do when you sort of integrate them into the various levels. Yeah, you know, first of all, you take a guy like, you know, Hunter and, you know, from I believe Arizona State lost out in the regional during our draft meetings the weekend before the draft and then um, didn't play his first game until into July. So you're talking about a guy that had about a month break. So I don't think we can we can can't um, I don't think we can discount the fact that, you know, there was probably a little bit of rust him getting back into things. Uh, but we were extremely happy with the way Hunter's summer went, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, his walk rate was extremely high. He got on base at about a 438 clip uh, between two stops. Uh, we know that the power's in there. If you go off the numbers, his exit velos off the bat were extremely high, exactly where we thought they would be. We thought the quality of his bat is at bats were phenomenal. His defense, he showed the ability to steal bases, uh, stealing eight this summer. Um, Hunter's the type of guy that for us, it's, it's the end game, that it's the long game that we're looking at. He's a tremendous athlete with tremendous skills. And, uh, you know, I would say uh, for anyone that looks at the raw numbers, they may, you know, may follow the same sentiment that maybe you just talked about. But for us, where he's at in his development, we were extremely happy. Um, regarding Logan here, you're talking about a guy that finished his first half season in Augusta. And uh, along with Tyler Fitzgerald and Simon and, you know, these are guys that really went there and uh, they helped Carlos's club in Augusta, you know, win the second half and get into the playoffs. So that was an exciting time for them to finish up their summer in Augusta. And, and Logan's same thing that we thought he would do. He, 
controlled the strike zone. He put together good at bats. Uh, we really believe that the power will be there when it's all said and done. There's certain changes um, that we think that we can help his swing as far as getting the ball in the air a little bit more. He has tremendous strength and athleticism. But ultimately for us, um, I have the fortune of being able to turn over these players from the amateur department to a phenomenal uh, player development department led by Kyle Haynes. And uh, Kyle's guys do an outstanding job as far as developing these players and where we see the improvement on a daily basis. Uh, we're really excited, really, about these guys moving forward. You're listening to my conversation with Giants Amateur Scouting Director Michael Holmes. We'll be right back with more. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back. Let's get back to my interview with Michael Holmes, the Giants amateur scouting director. Fans who are listening to this are going to ask me, well, where are these guys going to start next year? And I need to point out that, you know, that's a decision that really falls more in, in Kyle Haynes, Bailiwick, correct? I mean, there's uh, you're the scouting director. You're in charge of finding the guys. Uh, and then Kyle Haynes, who also came on board, uh, he he's in charge of the actual system. And, and then he uh, would lead the collaboration, uh, deciding where, where these guys would go. Uh, now, you... Uh, we had a conversation when we were in Atlanta. Uh, you were there and we were in the dugout. And you mentioned something that was interesting to me. Uh, first of all, just for the listener, I, I find it it's very aggressive compared to what we're used to, to having even college drafts, draftees, even college draftees reach the uh, Sally League in the first year and play down in Augusta. Um, that really is pushing them because they're playing against guys who have more professional experience. And you mentioned what, what you just said. You had uh, Logan Wyatt there. You had uh, Tyler Fitzgerald there uh, just for a very brief time. I believe you also had Simon Whiteman there. Uh, and, and you you talked a little bit about uh, the benefit of having all of those guys in the lineup together at um, Augusta all together in their first year. Could you maybe expound on that and why that's a benefit in your mind? Yeah, you know, as far as player placement next year, I know the fans always are curious kind of where these guys are going to end up and where they're going to be. And, you know, certainly from my end, I'm always excited to where they're going to be as well. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I tell people all the time, the players tell us what level they're ready for. I, I don't think we'll ever get in anybody's way uh, or be conservative with moving players um, at this point moving forward. But we allow the player to kind of show us what his ability is. And once we feel that they're ready for that next step, we would never slow a guy down. We're, we want to get these guys there as soon as possible, but obviously um, we're going to go on their timetable and they'll show us, you know, when they're ready for that next level. Um, I think, you know, getting three guys from this year's draft to Augusta this year was, is, um, yeah, I think it's an important step for our organization because now all of a sudden we can start to group some players kind of moving up through the ranks together. Um, you know, uh, I thought it was absolutely fantastic that guys like Ramos and Bart were able to get to double A and Sean Jelly was in double A this year. So, you know, these are guys that have moved a little bit of an aggressive pace. And now we can take guys from this draft and kind of get them 
closer in the same range as those guys. You start to group, uh, get together groups of players that are ready to graduate to the big league. If we do a good job on the amateur step side and the international side of providing options to Kyle and Farhan, now all of a sudden we've got the ability to add some depth to our 40-man roster. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Uh, I'd like to just ask you about a couple other guys who were in the top 10. Uh, guys that uh, some of the fans might have remembered us writing about. And one guy, of course, locally from De La Salle High School out in Concord by UC Santa Barbara, Armani Smith. And uh, when I was looking at his numbers, he was your seventh round pick, number 206 overall. Um, and and uh, I, I saw that, you know, he had a little bit of a cup of coffee uh, at, at age 21 in the, um, in the Arizona, the rookie level Arizona League. Um, and, and then uh, you moved him up to Salem-Kaiser in the uh, Northwest League. And, uh, I mean, he really took off. I uh, three, hit 307 with a 372 on base percentage, a 454 slugging percentage. Of course, the strikeouts were an issue. He struck out 55 times in 163 at-bats with, with Salem-Kaiser. When you look at those numbers uh, ba- uh, and, and kind of compare them to where you thought he might be when you drafted him, uh, is it a little surprising at all? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's surprising. Listen, when we drafted Armani, he was 20 years old. He turned 21 this summer. Um, Armani was a guy that we had, we knew about, whether it was me before I came to San Francisco or guys that were already here. He's a guy that that we had seen a lot of. We had always been intrigued by his ability. We had always been intrigued by the athleticism, the strength. Um, we thought there was definite power. He certainly... Um, had a little history of some swinging and missing throughout his college career, but ultimately he was able to cut his strikeout percentage, you know, from his sophomore year at 24% to almost, you know, 15% as a junior. So we saw a guy that was actually starting to put the ball in play, and we knew that with more balls in play with him, it was going to come with damage. So he's a guy that we were actually extremely excited about, and we were extremely excited to get him where we did. And I think he went out and performed kind of like we thought he would. He homered, he doubled, he had four triples. Uh, this is a guy that's got a little speed to his game. And the more he continues to kind of cut the strikeout percentage down, I think you're going to see the performance just continue to rise. And uh, and the last uh, one I wanted to ask you about in the draft, uh, now you drafted, uh, I believe nine out of your top ten were um, – position players. And we talked about that at the time. Uh, uh, I mean, Farhan was honest. Uh, you were honest about feeling the need to bulk up that part of your system. Uh, in the ninth round, you took a pitcher named Caleb Killian from Texas Tech. And we were sort of like, okay, there's your token pitcher. And then all of a sudden you look and see that uh, he pitched 16 innings com- uh, combined in the uh, Arizona League and then Salem-Kaiser in the Northwest League and didn't allow an earned run. Seven hits and two walks in 16 innings. Uh, I'm not good at figuring out whip, but fortunately, um, the computer tells me that's about a .56, which would be, I mean, Hall of Fame caliber in the majors. 17 strikeouts in 16 innings. What can you tell me about what you saw, what you as an organization saw once he got to uh, the professional level for the first time? Yeah, Kate, you know, yeah, to echo your point, I mean, it, I, I mentioned it to a lot of you guys right after the draft, but I mean, obviously you can stare at our draft results and see that we made a little bit of a focus from a positional player standpoint this year and trying to uh, go after some bats to put into the system. But um, obviously when we got to the eighth round, it just became a situation where we thought too highly of Caleb just to kind of keep going with the bat uh, focus and we had a chance to grab him there, a guy that we had scouted a lot. 
Uh, we saw him. Uh, we went in there to see him individually. We ended up seeing him a lot while we were scouting Josh Jung, their infielder that went to Texas in the first round. So we ended up having a lot of history with Caleb throughout his college career. We were extremely excited to get him where we got him. He obviously went out and had a spectacular summer. Um, he didn't get, he got off to a little late start because we wanted to build him back up a little bit with the pitcher. He had a lot of, a lot of innings under his belt uh, coming out of college. But uh, once we got him up and going and on a mound, um, he obviously's performance speaks for his capabilities and what he is, uh, potentially can do for us in our system. Um, his fastball is a mid-90 fastball up to 96, pitches usually about 93, 94. It's a four-pitch mix with command. Um, he's got stuff. He's got the ability to miss bats. He's got the ability to sequence his pitches. And, uh, you know, we see him as a guy who has durability, who's a starter, who can log innings. And uh, certainly we're going to develop him as uh, one of the next up-and-coming starters in our system. And I should have mentioned that he's right-handed. That's one of those little details you forget sometimes. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you uh, for the Giant Splash podcast, and again, I want to thank Michael Holmes for for coming on. Um, you know, the, the international draft, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the, once uh, the Giants got back into uh, out of the penalty box, signed Luciano, the fans are starting to get uh, know these names like Marco Luciano and Alexander Canario, who actually had a phenomenal first professional season in the United States. Juan Toribio, who I believe is an infielder, uh, and others. Now this year, uh, the organization went a different route. Instead of getting some of the high-profile, high-dollar uh, signings, uh, it was more the money was more spread out to different people. And I think people are seeing in the World Series. Uh, you know, here you got a guy like Jose Altuve who was signed for fifteen thousand dollars. Who was, you know, who the Astros even told to go away when he first showed up at their tryout because he was so small um, and that you don't need to have a million dollar or a two million dollar player to have an impact. That Pablo Sandoval was not a high signing uh, guy. So um, I, I, I guess the the question is about whether is there any names from this year's signing period where you did go in, uh, not quite spend as much per player. Are there names uh, like Luciano, Toribio, um, Canario, that maybe the fans should start looking for as they look at um, some of the numbers that they can see from the Dominican Summer League and whatnot? Yeah, I think, and you know, it's funny, Henry, we, we spoke in Atlanta that day uh, during the Braves series, and uh, the first thing that pops in my mind is Ronald Acuna signed for $100,000 out of Venezuela. So I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's important for a lot of people to remember, including our own staff, that we talk about this, that you know, um, players kind of come from all over the draft. And on the international side, they come from all types of signing bonuses. So ultimately, our evaluation skills uh, and ability to identify players is certainly still the, uh, to the forefront and the most important thing that we do and not necessarily get caught up in the cost of the player. Uh, because there are examples of a lot of guys, Altuve, Acuna, Sandoval, many more that not necessarily come from the high signing bonus that end up being tremendous major league players. Uh, but yeah, it's an exciting time for our organization right now with uh, Luciano and Canario, uh, Toribio, Pomeris, uh, you know, Franklin Labor had a fantastic summer in the Northwest League and then moving on to Augusta. A uh, guy that homered at a very high rate. Um, I think in this year's signing, Joe and his guys were able to create a lot of depth um, and add a lot of uh, players that maybe uh, weren't the marquee type guys from a signing bonus standpoint, but it doesn't mean that they don't have those similar type abilities to the guys that we talked about. 
And uh, the thing to remember with those guys is uh, there is a slight type of patience game with those guys because of the age that they do sign. Uh, but I think uh, I think a lot of Giants fans will be really excited to to hear some of these names moving forward that are going to follow along the same lines as uh, Luciano's and Canario's, and uh, we're excited with every single one of them. Okay. Well, listen, Michael, I, again, thank you so much for taking about a half an hour with us. Uh, you know, the, the fans uh, right now, Giants fans can't get enough uh, information about the farm system and the draft because uh, there's a new administration uh, that is focusing on it as, as a way to uh, rebuild and sustain success. And I look forward to talking to you further down the road. Uh, good luck with your scouting this winter and uh, have a good holiday season. Thanks, Andrew. Same to you. Thank you for listening and watch for more Giant Splash podcasts as we move into the off-season player acquisition period. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. You can find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Hank Shulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com.